When they found her, she was barely alive. And with child. That girl was Amanda Kruger. Her child, Freddy. The bastard son of a hundred maniacs. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hello. 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 Hi. Follow us on Instagram at Speak All Evil Pod. This week, it's another listener recommendation week. Wow. We have a couple recommendations from Nick. Thank you very much, Nick. Nick recommended the 2014 film written, directed, and edited by Kevin Smith called Tusk. Tusk mm. is on HBO right now or VOD. This is a A24, which I didn't remember, and is the story of uh, two very obnoxious podcasters. Good one, Nick. Thank you. Forgot <laughs> about that part of this movie. Uh, and they have a show where one of the, uh, the the podcasters, Wallace, who is played by Justin Long, the other podcaster, um, Teddy, is played by Haley Joel Osment. Yeah. Um, they have this show where Wallace goes and travels around and meets eccentric weirdos who go viral for whatever reason and does interviews with them. So he's taking this trip to Canada to visit Kill Bill Kid, which is a kid who accidentally took a video of himself severing his own leg off with a, like a samurai sword. He was like trying to do Kill Bill and he cuts his own leg off and this goes viral. And so the podcast wants to get him on the show. Wallace flies to a Winnipeg, I believe it is, or thereabouts, to find this kid. It turns out the kid has just recently killed himself. So the interview is canceled, and Wallace decides that he doesn't want to waste this trip. He's got to find somebody to talk to, somebody interesting. Shouldn't be too hard, although he's he's finding his surroundings to be pretty milquetoast. Uh, he stumbles upon kind of a um, a, a wanted bulletin board above the urinal where people post notices and things and there's a notice for a border wanted somebody to live for free do a little work and hear are the stories of a man named howard howe who has uh lived this crazy life he, he writes this whole thing that he puts on the bulletin board this whole kind of like life synopsis says he has all these amazing stories you can stay there for free you got to do some chores and he will spin some yarns for you so Wow, that's just what Wallace is looking for. He decides to take the number, take a flyer, and go see Howard Howe. Of course, as it turns out, Howard Howe wants more than a few chores. He wants to turn Wallace into a walrus. I don't think I'm spoiling anything there. That is the point of Tusk. That is the cover of the movie. Mm -hmm. I saw this in the theater at the time. I loved it then, and I love it more now. This is a great one. I think that this is maybe an underrated and under-discussed horror movie. I think that it's unique. It's original. It is very Kevin Smith in a good way. I think Kevin Smith has a pretty spotty catalog as a filmmaker. I think this is so inspired and so ridiculous and so much fun. It's very scary. I mean, the first half of this movie is a great horror movie. And then it kind of goes into Kevin Smith land. There are a lot of like digressions and diversions and shaggy dog stuff and weird characters. I can't wait to talk about one of my discoveries. I didn't even realize <laughs> seeing this movie two times. Mm, what could it be? Um, great, great pick. Thank you very much, Nick. Enjoyed this one. Cal, I'm particularly interested in your take on this because mm-hmm. we've never discussed this movie. Yeah. And I understand um, our listener said that he had actually reached out to you uh, and, and recommended Tusk. Yeah. And, and that you shot him down, didn't even bring it to the group, <laughs> just said no. So I, I th- and so then he, he, then he messaged our, our Instagram mm-hmm. um, to let me know. And I just thought, wow, I, I wish if, if a listener recommends something <laughs> to one of us individually, I think we should at least bring it to the group and, and then decide sure. if we tell him to pound sand or whatever. Um, so I'm just, I don't not? know if you, did you have something against this movie in particular or just think this guy was like, Shady or or what? 
Well, I do think he's shady, for yeah. sure. Um, f- fuck that guy. Just kidding. I had avoided this movie for a long time, but a drunken Instagram message just happened to get through into the Speak All Evil account, and it appears that he won this week. So I'm happy for him. And honestly, maybe I'm happy for myself because I remember being really stressed out watching this one and just being like, nah, I don't need to see the rest of it. But, you know, for the podcast, I was forced to give it another chance. And I got to say, I kind of loved it. Yeah. To be quite honest, TBQH. Looking at it, you know, through the lens of a dark comedy, it makes absolute perfect sense and of course it's a it's a comedy it's a kevin smith film um but then you've got the grotesque body horror that's added in and it just makes it a thousand times better the best part of this movie though hands down is the performance given by michael parks who plays our um our howard howe he is the perfect crazy walrus obsessed man in this story, and uh, I I learned a lot of facts this week um, from my other half because he knows so much about this movie. Uh, Michael Parks was actually this is his last film that he was in. Okay, because he was actually actively going through dementia when oh, this movie okay. was going on. Not true. Not true. He has another movie coming out this year that he filmed that'll be coming out with a posthumous performance. Whoa. Okay. During this film, fact off. How many? I'm not here to fact. I'm not here to fact off you. I'm just trying to tell you. Okay. Yeah, Kevin, we get it. All right. In this film, he was actively going through dementia, so his son was there to kind of guide him and remind him what he was doing, why he was doing it, and what he was doing it for. But he he plays it straight. He plays it insane. He plays it scary. There's just so many awesome moments of Michael Parks in this movie, R.I.P., but he definitely just took the cake for me in this one. Obviously, he's been in a bunch of shit. Quentin Tarantino loves him. He's been in a bunch of his stuff, and Quentin Tarantino is actually the one that recommended this actor to Kevin Smith uh, to play this part, and I just think it was spot on. Um, I'm glad that they made Justin Long's character so unlikable, like as unlikable as possible uh, because I was able to root for Howard Howe uh, for the film without remorse. Um, but yeah, this is just on the top of my list for Kevin Smith movies. Now I think it's like dogma's number one. Oh, Oh, we can, we can talk about it later. Dogma's number one. Then we got Tusk and then it can kind of filter out yoga hosers. Not even, not even close to, to anywhere near the top of the list. Kevin Smith's first foray into horror was Red State. And that was completely devoid of any Kevin Smith uh, from his previous catalog. And I'm a huge Smith fan. I'd, I'd throw Mallrats up at number one. I'd go Chasing Amy 2. I might put Tusk at 3. Um, or even Dogma or, or Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Anyway, this one really blends the Kevin Smith with the horror. And it does it very well. And I think it's because of what you just said, Kat, Michael Parks gives the performance of a lifetime. And Justin Long is once again, like in the recently released on HBO Max as well, Barbarian, just plays a douchebag. And you're, I mean, I'm not saying that I want all douchey people to get turned into walruses like Kat is. Mm. But I am saying that there isn't really like a protagonist in this movie. You're like, both of these guys are just kind of like, just, scum but i will say i ended up when the movie ended feeling more for justin long than i did for michael parks he was just a psycho and a serial killer Mm -hmm. you know they say 23 i think that's a conservative number i think he probably killed many many more because he has to keep parts of them to make all these suits but at the end there's a really powerful scene i thought where kevin smith throughout the film keeps doing these flashbacks to moments in characters lives that may have happened before what we're currently watching and there is a whole like dialogue about crying 
and that's sort of how the movie ends and you finally see like Justin Long's character like crying. I thought, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a nice touch. It's a, a little heavy handed. Um, <laughs> it, I didn't find it particularly scary this time. And maybe that's because I've seen this a few more times. I just found it. I was watching it for the podcast, which we've talked about how you watch movies differently when you're watching it for the podcast and if you're just like chilling. And then this time, I, I also knew everything that was going to happen. Um, so I watched it, I think, almost like with more enjoyment. Like, I know what's in that tea, and like, I know what's going to happen here. And But I had forgotten a few key things, like the fact that he wakes up without a leg. Mm-hmm. And that I was like, I really enjoyed that. Like, ooh, I forgot that. Like, that it literally just like, once this thing gets going and the reveal happens, the train has left the tracks and we're going 100 miles an hour. Um thought some of the humor maybe fell a little flat. I think that's Kevin Smith hasn't necessarily aged well with his material. Like even this is later. I mean, this is 2014, but it's still later in Kevin Smith's career. I mean, what was Clark's like early mid nineties. So, you know, if you go back to his catalog, the humor doesn't necessarily always age well. And some of it does remain like kind of juvenile. And I also wanted to punch Haley Joel Osment in the face as hard as I could when he was doing like his fake laughing when they Ugh. would show like their podcast. Yeah, that was um, bad. And I, th- I think that was on purpose. So good job, Haley Joel Osment, if that's what you were going for. Uh, if not, I'm going to punch you in the face. Um, it's but, not a short trip, I feel like. You know? What's that? For you to want to punch someone in the face. That's not, that's not saying that much, really. Well, I mean, give the guy a break. Do you guys know how much Haley Joel Osment got paid to do this movie? No. Six cents. Oh, Jesus. Hey. Fucking. Yeah. Anyway. And we're off. Anyway. Well, he was, uh, let, okay, let me turn it over to Dave. You're ready. Well, he, was, he was in that movie, you're, uh, you're real Six Cents. <laughs> okay. So he was in, in that movie, The Six Cents. Which yeah. Ha- it has the same ending as uh, Titanic, right? That's that movie. What? I See Dead People. I see. Oh my God! Like Are you that? just getting you all your like puns that? out of the way right now? <laughs> yeah, I am. I am. Okay, all right. Well, he went on Haley Joel. I was. I had a few uh, <laughs> thing in the chamber. <laughs> but I remember when uh, Tusk first came out, it hit kind of like the the movie version of Cats. Like it was so universally hated. Uh, everyone was just saying that this movie was. It, absolutely bottom of the barrel oh, you could the, possibly who get. Who said that? I saw it everywhere. Everyone. Because I went everyone. into this movie. Box office. I went into this movie with like the lowest expectations. Yeah. And I enjoyed it a lot. You hadn't seen I, this before? No, no. When I saw it oh, in the theater. Oh, 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 oh okay. But the, the stuff leading up to it, all the reviews and everything, I always read all that stuff and everyone hated this. And so I went in with this really low standard and I, and I loved it. I thought it was super fun and... I thought people just maybe hated it because it was grody or whatever, but um, I like how it's like all over the place. It's like uh, an absurd comedy, like dark comedy freestyle. You like, there's all kinds of. You get the feeling like all the actors are riffing, yeah, a lot of the time, and um, there's like this 15 minute exchange between Johnny Depp and Michael Parks that's completely unnecessary. It's just them looking funny. And talking, and talking funny. funny at each other for 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. super indulgent. It's like right in the middle of like the third act. <laughs> and it's just like, what is going on here? But uh, I like it because it the, the fun of the, the people uh, that are doing it, like everything seems like a, like a sick inside joke. And like you can even tell, you know, like Justin Long was in stitches the whole time. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the fact that it starts the movie with a guy named Wallace that's going to be turned into a walrus is <laughs> <laughs> so like spit out your milk funny that I was just like, I know 100% why people hated this and it's why I love it. I like uh, comedy interjected in horror like this way in, in such a dark tone that is just like you feel bad for laughing <laughs> with it, you know? Yeah. He's also got like the walrus mustache. Like, yes. it's, they're just setting it up for yeah, what it, you think's going to happen. I mean, this was concocted famously on Kevin Smith's podcast called Smodcast. Yeah. I forget which episode, but they kind of just riffed this idea to life and then went on to actually make the movie. So that's how it started. Mm-hmm. Well, it was an ad. 
So they had found an ad on, I think, a site called Gumtree. Yeah. And a guy had posted an ad saying that he was going to give free room and board to somebody as long as they walked around the house dressed as a walrus. The ad, and, and at the time, they thought the ad was serious. So it ended up, as they were talking on that particular episode, yeah. Trent, that he was like, they were riffing the idea of the movie, and then they did like a Twitter campaign, like hashtag oh, Walrus. They, they yes, found the guy, hash, right, who placed the ad. The guy reached out, he saw it, and he was like, yeah, the ad was a total joke, but yeah, I want to get yeah. involved in the movie because I'm loving this idea. So Kevin Smith ended up hiring him as like an associate oh, producer. Okay. Just to yeah, be yeah, there. So right, he was right, involved. Right, but, yeah. I knew that. Yeah, it's a good one. So 50% of this podcast saw this in the theaters, which is kind of astounding because it was made for $3 million, yeah. which, good job. It looks great for a $3 million budget. Yeah, it looks good. Good practical effects, all practical effects, but it made one9 It I bombed. know. What? This, I, it bombed. Yeah, I don't you understand. You guys are a serious minority. Well, I can't believe half of this room <laughs> saw, well, saw yeah, this me, movie in theaters. Well, like, I, I know that it... it, it doesn't it's not well reviewed it's like 50 50 at best but at, that's not how i approach going to the movies if i think it looks interesting to me then i avoid the reviews i don't want to because i don't want to be put off by it and i also don't want to be over expected to it you know if everybody loves it yeah. so i didn't i was just like wait a minute kevin smith made a movie where they turn a guy into a walrus <laughs> i'm, I'm going yeah, i'm, I'm going yeah. to yeah. that and i'm not i'm not you know any kind of big Kevin Smith fan, it just sounded like that's crazy and it delivered. It yeah. is crazy. And and I like all that stuff. Like Dave, you were talking about the pointless scenes and you know, nothing this is a good example to me, this movie, of nothing is inherently bad. Like there's nothing that's off the table to me if you want to do it in a movie. There's nothing that I say that can never work or that can never happen, but you can do it well or you can not do it well. A lot of times I wouldn't like that kind of stuff where there's all this kind of like extra pointless stuff and people are riffing around, it's indulgent, but I just thought it worked so well. I mean, the whole premise of the movie is so ridiculous that it's just funny to do that. Well, like the guy, Guy Lapointe. Oh my and God. And honestly, like Trent, Love I think that. you should, I think you should beep out when Dave says the name of the actor that plays Guy Lapointe because it's not Cats credited. It's not credited. Yeah, uh, I had to look it up the first time I saw I this had movie because no I was like, maybe, maybe that was like, mm -hmm. uh, maybe. Um, shit, I forgot where I was. Oh, the the Guy Lapointe scene and Michael Parks when they're just ripping for literally fifteen minutes. <laughs> it's like, like, it's something that like in ninety nine point nine percent of like edits that that would have been clipped or it would have been cut way down. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, they're both just so remarkable. It, yeah, it reminded me of like the Greasy Strangler. Or something yeah. like that, like one of the scenes where like the dad and son are just like yelling at each other for like way too long, and you're like, can we get to the next like kill scene or something? Uh, I think that's I think that's why I find this charming, mm -hmm. and I, I think the reason one of the reasons this didn't land is you know I think if he had done this before Red State, that this would have been more well received, but Red State missed the mark with horror fans. And it wasn't even pandering to Kevin Smith fans. And, mm -hmm. yeah. So you're, you're basically like, you're going to a very defensive audience, a very judgmental audience in horror people, even though we consume some of like the, the worst, shit the worst yeah. trash like put on film. And I think if this one, this one panders to both, it's for horror fans and it's for Kevin Smith fans. So I think if he had flip flopped these and not gone so like hardcore, politically serious horror in red state i think this one might have might have come off a little bit better yeah this was the um this was the last film that someone gave kevin smith money to make after this he fully financed the rest of his movies because now instead of releasing his movies to a widespread audience he does tours with them so recently like me and nick went and saw clerks three but he only did it to tour like he went to the state yeah i was and, wondering like, what the deal was yeah so that. basically what he does is he goes and shows the movie in that kind of a like a sit down you know um like theater situation and then like has a q a afterwards and he does it because tusk did so poorly yeah in the theaters like monetarily and so he knows that he has to go to his people. And they release like Clerks 3 for like a weekend or two, like, you know, acro across the, like in select theaters. But he knows now, he's like, if I had released Tusk this way, it would have been 
met with so much more acclaim than it yep. was to like the broad yep. audience. He, he's a true fan guy now. Yeah. He is playing to his however many thousands or millions, however many true fans he has. That's all he needs to bother with. It doesn't he doesn't need to make these movies and get panned and have people get mad and not want to give him any more money. Yeah. I mean, he'd already what was it Cop Out, the one with Bruce Willis. Oh, oh Jesus. So, yeah, so <laughs> Huge bomb. This, Tracy this, was, Morgan. this was not a st- I mean, this was kind of a string of bombs that he mm. I mean, nobody was going to keep making these movies. Jersey Girl Two. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> well, there's uh, there's a, a line that Michael Park says where he says like that's enough with all the chuffa or whatever to Justin Long as he's like having one of his meltdowns, which there are many in mm. this film. Apparently, that's what Bruce Willis would say on set, and famously, <laughs> they hated each other. Yeah, I, I've delved out. into that. I so love that. So Bruce Willis would call anything he thought was unnecessarily happening on set chuffa, <laughs> and so Smith just dropped that in here, probably as a, a, a little middle finger to, to old Bruce. You, you get the feeling that there's plenty of inside jokes. Like oh, you that's were all Kevin Davids. Smith movies. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you you could string together a million if you if you dug through his scripts. Definitely reminded me of Human Centipede a lot. I mean, the the first act, let's say, of this movie is a very well-made, straight horror movie. I thought it was scary. I love that the, the poison drink in this movie finally takes an appropriate amount of time. We watch a lot of movies where somebody takes, like, one sip and they're, you know, on the yeah. floor. This yeah. one at least, like, makes it realistic. And I thought it was so scary when Wallace Justin Long wakes up. He's in that, like, wheeled chair. It's not really a wheeled chair, but it's a wheeled chair. Mm. And he's got the blanket. Lane. Yeah, he's got the blanket over the legs. Like, oh, man. That, that is good horror filmmaking. I like that uh, Justin Long, even though his performance in this this movie bombed, he still was bold enough to do the exact same performance in Barbarian just this year. <laughs> yes. To great effect. To great received critical accolades. Hey, he's done some Spoilers. more. Jeepers Creepers. Jeepers Creepers yeah. Justin Long's been down. We tried to the, talk yeah. about that one time. He's one, of, he's one of the most likable actors. And I think I mentioned maybe on a, on a past episode, he has a podcast that's fantastic and he's so likable on it. Like, it's, it's just great. I love it when I can see somebody just pull a 180 and be the most unlikable character. We saw that with Jason Bateman last week. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, exactly. I <laughs> want to talk about Johnny Depp because I watched this both times. If, if, I, if I found it out after the first time I saw it, I had forgotten, and I watched it again, and I was thinking the whole way, man, this Gila Point guy is amazing. <laughs> I, I was thinking like the whole movie, I was thinking like, first off, this head to head with Justin Long and um, uh, Michael Parks, this head to head is incredible. It's just the two of them for most of the opening of the movie. I'm thinking these are two great actors just going one on one in the most absurd situation ever. And it's funny and it's scary. Like, And then Gila Point comes in. I'm like, where are they getting? Who is this guy? He's blowing my mind. It's like some kind of Wes Anderson thing or That's something. That's exactly yeah. what I was about I, to say. Man, this is incredible. Uh, and and then later, only later, I was like, wait a minute. That was Johnny Depp? I think yeah. I'm going to say one of Johnny Depp's finest performances because I marveled at it the whole time. I had no idea it was him. This reminded me of Labette, actually. Huh. Semen. Yeah. Pun alert. Semen. <laughs> I knew uh, it. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, What's I did the not. Pun? I did Sorry. semen. Ah. Uh. I did not know it was Johnny Depp the first time either. Like I said, I had to. I had to actually look that up. Uh, if there's one thing that I, I don't want to totally slop this movie. If there's one thing that I did find a bit wanting, I mentioned that this was edited by Kevin Smith. Mm-hmm. I felt like the editing a little slapdash. I felt like a lot of the scenes that we were talking about were the two. The two actors, whoever they are, whatever combination, are are so great. And the the performances are so good. I thought this, the script is really good. There are a lot of scenes where two people are talking, and it's very clear th- the way it's chopped up that a lo- large segments of it, at least to me, it seems like, or at least enough segments of it, is somebody talking to a stand-in 
or talking to a nobody a or a mannequin or however they're doing it. The way those scenes are like, it's like the back of their head, but it's not that person. It's like somebody else with the same hat on or whatever. I thought that you maybe, that? maybe is a little bit of a rush job on the edits in this movie. That's my only complaint. I think that could be a second watch kind of a thing. Cause I didn't realize I didn't it, but it I o- I've only time. seen it the yeah. once. Well, it was also filmed in 15 days. Yeah. So right. I bet I they had to do a bunch of reshoots yeah. and stuff like that and get some extra... F- I mean, they plowed through this movie. No disrespect to Michael Parks, but I did think that the mumbo-jumbo that he was talking kind of went on. Sometimes it was like, okay, we get it. You know, you've, you're have you a world traveler. You're sophisticated. You're yeah. red, well-read. You know what I mean? You fucked a walrus. Yeah, did you think he, he did? I thought I thought or it were was implied friends? that he fought the walrus. He did, killed it, and ate it. I he don't did. think he, he fought did. it. I think he just killed it. I well, think it was more intimate than it was sex. probably a struggle. Yeah, no, I, I mean I was just sort of kidding, but they they had a very his whole this Howard Howe part of his big story is that he one of his many adventures he got stranded. Um, was it like on an island or on a ice barge or small island? Yeah, yeah, and he was stranded with only a walrus, and he became. One with that he had a, a, a such a special relationship. He named the walrus Mister Tusk, and oh. they had this incredibly special relationship. He had never felt so warm. He never felt so loved. He never mm. experienced. It's that like kind a of, raised by wolves kind of situation. Yeah. It, the way he goes on about it, I think, implies perhaps there may have been some special time between them, but. Um, he ended up having to kill and eat the walrus, and ever since then, he has been trying to recreate this connection with his victims, and that's what Wallace has fallen into. And the thing that he goes to talk about, um, about growing up in, you know, the orphanages that then got, you know, they only got funding from the state. Turned into insane asylums. Yeah, that actually happened. That's a real thing that happened in Canada. Yeah. Um, So that's like a a topical thing. Um, But what I think is really funny is in the beginning, it says based on a true story. And so (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And then if you um, get like halfway through the credits at the end, did you guys stick around for that? Um, It starts the podcast. They start talking about that episode of the podcast. based on a true story. And they're literally just like stoned (laughs) off their asses. Just like talking about, and then one single tear like falls down. Like they're basically just like talking about them coming up with the idea. And that's the circle back. They're like, um, to like the... laughing to your stomach hurts laughing. Yeah. And then you think of this whole movie as that sort of thing. And, that's, and it's like and amazing. It immediately <laughs> just made it so that's much better. That's what's so great about it. Yeah. It'd be like if we made a movie about Arnold Schwarzenegger running a, a pizza parlor. <laughs> it would be financially profitable. <laughs> <laughs> Get to the theater. That's too many topics for the council. Get the money, quick. <laughs> Hey, so this was uh, supposed to be the first of a planned trilogy that Kevin Smith was doing, and he made the second movie called Yoga Hosers. Mm. I haven't seen that. Not well received. Um, I guess it's supposed to be like a horror comedy similar to this. Have you, has anybody seen that? I have. It's real bad. It's, bad. Um, it's really bad. I haven't watched it, but I know of it. So the third one is supposed to be called Moose Jaws. Oh, I can't wait for this Do we this know, one. does anybody have a status on Moose Jaws? Do you know, Kat? Maybe we should uh, call in to should... our listener this week and find out, because I'm sure he knows all about it. Yeah. I'd like to use a lifeline. I, if, if Moose Jaws ever gets made, I, I would definitely go see it's that. It's supposed to be Jaws for Moose, for, which by the way, yeah. Kat, called... could be me. Jaws. Could slap. That you love, that you have tattooed to your body. I have many a Jaws. Did you catch the, the quint line in this from Jaws? 25 feet. Oh, the 25-footer one. tons on him. I will say I had a this slaps moment that Nick didn't pick up on, which I was really happy about. Um, so about three quarters of the way in, all of a sudden this drum comes in. And I knew right away it was the Fleetwood Mass Maxon oh, Tusk sure. coming in hot. <laughs> and I started cackling and just laughing maniacally. And Nick was just like, what the fuck? And I'm like, it's Tusk, brah. Yeah. It's just like everything yeah, yeah. about this movie is just like a joke. I, it's just a fucking joke I, yep. within itself. And that makes it so in that moment, I fell in love with this movie. You know, going into this week, I'll be honest, like I had like reservations where I was going to come in here and be like, Kat, I don't know if you should be 
sleeping with one of our few fans. <laughs> <laughs> and now, after the movies he's picked, I told I think that's you're doing a great job. Thank you. Yeah. Great, picked, great picked. Well, she's she's got groupies. Woo! <laughs> I just no, I just have one really good groupie. Yeah, uh, real quick, I'm surprised to hear when when we started, you guys were talking about like favorite Kevin Smith movies and stuff, and uh, you guys both said Dogma. Yeah. And neither of you said Clerks. Clerks strange. is fine. It's fine. It's Mallrats for me because that is the first one I I saw Mallrats before I saw Clerks. Me too. Because I think Mallrats oh, came God. out in like '97, and that would have been like peak weed smoking. <laughs> and that movie just wrecked me. I could I could quote I have so many quotes amongst like my core group of friends that we just yell things like "Do it, Doug!" and like there's just so many things from that movie. So that from like a sentimental and just the way it hit me. I think by the time I got all the way back around to Clerks, it just wasn't as good to me as I mean it was Mallrats, Black chasing, and White, chasing, Super Indie, Chasing Amy. I yeah. loved like that one hit me hit me as well. Uh, and Dogma, I think that's like what we were talking about earlier. Dogma, Jay and Silent Bob Strike, but that's when Kevin Smith was trying to release movies with budgets to a wide audience. And it wasn't quite. He was swinging for the fences and yeah. probably dealing with some studio interference at the same just, time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That That's that's my rationale there. My favorite one hasn't even gotten in your top three, any of you. Hmm. Tusk. <sighs> I said it was right <laughs> after. I, well, yeah, I haven't given mine yet. I would yeah. say uh, the top three are Clerks yeah. and Tusk. And Those that's, are my, that's my that's top the, three. That's the top three. <laughs> Listen, the Irish Gosh. Catholic in me just loves a nice uh, religious comedy. The second listener request or recommendation for this week was Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors, which is the greatest Nightmare on Elm Street movie ever made. It's better than the first. I'm just going to say it. I don't uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Go on. So this one's from 1987, <laughs> directed by Chuck Russell. This is a movie that I've seen... The reason that I think it's the best, again, comes from sentiment. I've seen this the most by far. I've actually only seen the original maybe a handful of times in my life. This one, 87, I was peak horror. And this was also an HBO staple. This was a VHS staple. And this yeah. was one of the first horror movies that my younger brother and younger sister got way into at that age where they make you watch a movie 50 times in one day. You know, like, play Labyrinth again. Play La Well, <laughs> yeah. for us, it was... Oh, my. I hated it was that. It's on Elm Street 3. I hated that so much. I, I, I loved it. I have fond memories of it. But this one is, is a great one because for a movie that's so important to me, I had never done my nerdy research on it. I just watched it. I could tell you every scene. I could recite most of the dialogue. So I didn't know that Chuck Russell directed it. He would go on to do 1988's remake of The Blob. He would do The Mask with Jim Carrey. He's yeah. got a very Ooh. bizarre filmography. Scorpion King. And, 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 oh. he, and he was the one that actually encouraged the humor element of Freddy Krueger. So this is the first uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie where you see Freddy start to, well, first, I didn't realize this. This is the first one where they call him Freddy. In the previous two, they call him Fred Krueger. So he gets the Freddy in this one, and he starts to do his quips. However, this one rides the line of horror, and his quips are kind of a little more menacing and just, you know, vicious. Instead of in, in subsequent sequels, we would see Freddy start to get just like campy as hell. But we, we basically have the story of Kristen, and she is dreaming of Freddy. Freddy is, is coming after her. She, he does some stuff to her that lands her in a mental institution where she finds herself amongst a bunch of fellow teens, I'm assuming, her age, that are also being tormented by Freddy in their dreams. This one also brings back Nancy from the first one, which obviously would have been a huge hit with fans at the time. And this brings Wes Craven back into the fold. So Craven did not want Nightmare on Elm Street to have a sequel, so he stayed completely out of part two. He was so upset by what part two brought to the table that he came back as a scriptwriter. 
for me, this one has it all. It's like a superhero horror movie. Yeah. It is yeah. as close as you're going to get to like Marvel meets, you know, one of our beloved horror franchises. It's got great kills. It, it, it is scary at times. Like I was really surprised when I went back and watched this. Like, was this scary or is it because I watched it so much like through my very young years, through my teens? It's one that, that hasn't been around. Like you can find Nightmare on Elm Street like on HBO sometimes. They'll have like every single one but three. And now all of a sudden three is out on HBO and Tubi. So definitely pick it up while you can because this one goes away pretty frequently. I got a list of kills that I want to talk about. I think it's it's very well acted. It does do a little bit of a disservice where it tries to give you uh, the son of a thousand maniacs backstory <laughs> of Freddy a little bit that I still find it's like the Michael Myers debate where I don't necessarily want to know any more that I know about Freddy uh, than has already been established. Uh, but this this Nick, thank you. This is one of my favorite movies uh, of all time. I like this movie a lot. Um, I didn't always like this movie. I liked it when I was a kid, and I feel like I have the same relationship with this movie as I do the band Dokken. <laughs> they do the whole soundtrack, and um, I loved Dokken at the time. George Lynch was one of my favorite guitar players. But now I listen to Dokken, and <laughs> you know I'm still enamored by the the flashy guitar playing. Yeah, that. Yeah, uh, that's. It, I listened to some today, and that's the only thing that's still right. And there's some parts <laughs> with the lyrics and some of the vocals that are a little too fantastical. And the same thing happens in this movie, especially the the last portion uh, when they start becoming their dream selves. With you know, I'm the magical wizard. I'm beautiful <laughs> and bad. That's yes. oh, That's what I say to myself in the mirror every That's morning. <laughs> um, but I, I listen to a, a horror podcast uh, on uh, an Eli Roth. What, what's that called? The, the history of horror. History of horror. Quentin Tarantino was on, and he was talking about how great of a performance he thought that uh, Nancy Nancy's character was done by uh, Heather Heather Langenkamp. Right. And I disagree wholeheartedly. I think she is so awkward, even in this movie, in every single scene. Yep. It doesn't matter to me, but I definitely wouldn't point her out as doing a particularly good job. But uh, Patricia Arquette, uh, this is one of her early roles. It's her first one. She's great. Is it? Oh, is it? Okay. She's Kristen in this. And I, I feel like at this point, Lawrence Fishburne should have been too Larry, good for this movie. Larry Fishburne. Larry. Yeah, yeah I was going by Larry. <laughs> this he, is yeah, after... He hit the big time, yeah. yeah. He's always Larry Playhouse. But yeah. he means he's in Apocalypse Now. I feel like he should have, you know, been too good for this movie. Hmm. But he does a great job in it. Um, I feel like these kind of movies we were talking last night, it's either like scary or it's smart or it's stupid. And I didn't find this to be scary at all, except for maybe some little nostalgic moments remembering back when I was a kid because it did bring a lot of that up. But I think it's pretty much stupid, but it's a great... It's one of the last great practical effects movies because we got ushered into an era after this where CGI started being more predominant. Um, so I love the effects. I really appreciate that. I thought it was really ironic that Kevin and I uh, kept saying that we'd throw this on and we'd fall asleep because... The people, they always hit a spot where they're like yawning and they're dozing off a little bit and it's kind of hypnotic. Um, and I also like in, in these subsequent sequels how the first movie they knew, they didn't know yet that they had to stay awake. That was the whole thing. They had to stay awake forever. So in all the sequels, everyone's just pounding coffee and uh amphetamines just trying to stay awake and i feel like that's my life a little bit <laughs> <laughs> just real quick but sorry Trent. uh i saw Dawkins. speaking of your love for george lynch wow well but it was like one of those way past their prime so it was like five 80s bands like warrant and firehouse and Dokken and rat and i'm like rat goes on and steven piercy isn't singing i'm like well fuck it i'm going to see george lynch Dawkins comes on george lynch wasn't in the band well at the time. Oh. he started he started lynch mob which is not yeah. not going to be hitting in 2023 no like bad there's already a, there's already a rap group called lynch mob ice cube affiliated we should start lunch mob 
<laughs> yes. For a single food fight. I kind of love this one. This is, in my opinion, not by any stretch the greatest nightmare on Elm Street movie. That would be the first one. And then it's, you know, different stuff after that. I think, you know, <laughs> it's it's interesting to watch this now. I hadn't seen this since I was a kid when I watched it a bunch of times. And it was really interesting to see now because I kind of, on one hand, I feel like this is kind of when the franchise jumped the shark a little bit. And I really wouldn't care to see anything after this. But at the same time, I didn't realize how many memories have been burned into my brain from this movie, probably more than the first one. So many iconic scenes, all the different Freddies, the snake, the giant snake Freddy, the faces when he lifts up his shirt, the faces on the chest Freddy, the vein puppeteer Freddy, when Uh, the kid, when he pulls the veins out of the kid's arms and legs. Iconic. and uses That's his. It. I have been thinking about that scene for my entire life. Yeah. It's never the TV left scene. me. The TV scene. This is just a parade of incredible imagery, creative, the tongue tied, the tongue BDSM. <laughs> I mean, it just, you could go on the, the syringe. He kills yeah. the poor, the recovering uh, heroin addict. She she has mouths on her arm. Her track marks turn into mouths. Oh. And then Freddie stabs her with like eight syringes and kills oh. her. I mean, it just is one after another so good. The story is, you know, silly. It's number three. It's uh, alternate title, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Freddie Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. <laughs> This is like, <laughs> at this point, all they can do is have like eight kids. Put Did them you in make that up or is that real? No, that's my alternate title. Oh, that's good. I like that. I like that. I would have called this. It's a Japanese title. Yeah, it's like all you can do at this point, Wes Craven was correct. Okay, what are we going to do here? It's number three. Let's just have eight kids in an insane asylum, and they all happen to have grown up on Elm Street. Nobody has noticed this, of course, while they're trying to figure out what's wrong with the kids. Um, Ridiculous, obviously. But I did like, if there's a fresh spin on this, I did like that. They kind of twist, um, they kind of flip-flop the dream thing where I feel like initially the dreams in A Nightmare on Elm Street movie, the dreams are these um, fearful, subconscious fears and desires and this is scary and dangerous to dream. In this one, they do kind of kind of flip that and, and the dream, ultimately the dreams become a place where the kids can realize a more actualized self. They can be the self that they want to be. The kid in the wheelchair can be the Dungeons and Dragons wizard master that he wants to be. The the recovering addict can be beautiful and bad, like she says. <laughs> oh, the guy who doesn't talk Cringe. can scream and break all the mirrors. Like they totally turn that and they make the dreams like empowering. Like in your dreams, you can you can transcend what you are in life. You transcend your limitations and the things that you feel bad about. So I thought, hey, that's that's a cool thing to do. That's offering something new to the idea and just the idea that also anything can be Freddy because the the ultimate genius of the whole concept is that Freddy is in your dreams and that means Freddy is a meatball. <laughs> Freddy is a ham sandwich. Freddy is a, a is a sink is a sink faucet. You could just be doing anything. You light a cigarette. It's Freddy. The Freddy is a cigarette. Oh. I, it's like that. Just it gets Freddy, so. Freddy's a super hot nurse. Anything at all. Um, you're just off and running. So you just I cannot not love this movie for all its limitations. Um, had a great time revisiting this. Thank you, Nick. Woo! What a film. I love it. I've watched it a lot recently, like a few times in the past year. And it just slaps. Um, I've had the theme song stuck in my head for the past week since we've been talking. Dream Warriors. Um, It is on a few Spotify playlists. It's also on the Dawkins album, Back to to the Attack, baby. Time for me to revisit that one. (laughs) Great video, too. Yeah. Um, yes, with original Freddy footage in oh, the video. You know, well, what else are they going to do? Um, song slaps, movie slaps. As for the movie, um, I love the story premise. I think the idea, you know, like 
by the third movie, like, what are you going to do? Everyone's got to get together. Right. Teamwork. Right. This is the third time we got to beat this guy. Hopefully it works this time. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it won't. But you got to try what you got to try. Um, the real star of the movie, I think, though, is the practical effects that you guys have already uh, gushed about. Uh, definitely favorite kill right off the bat, the marionette. Oh, because it starts with stop motion. It's just like, oh, it's just so good. It's interesting. The TV kill comes up higher than the marionette kill. But the marionette kill always, like like you guys That's said, it has stuck with me it's since just a like, child. Because you don't, you're like, it just like makes you irk. Like the uh-huh. veins being pulled, you're uh-huh. like, no, no. And then you realize, you know, at the end of this death, what's happening? And you're like, oh, because he had like a boner for dolls and was like making dolls and in his in his room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's just beautiful. Um, three chef kisses, ten chef kisses. I don't know. However many chef kisses I want to give. Um, but then you get into the dream superhero alter egos, which makes it like Kevin mentioned my favorite superhero movie. Of all time. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would watch this on Edibles this over any other uh, Marvel film that I walked to the Nick uh, to watch. I wouldn't say the dialogue is the most eloquent that I've ever uh, come across, especially our girl Heather's uh, performance. It's just very, ah, what do you mean? I'm having a hard time. Exactly. Meh. And like, I get uh, it. Like, I still love her. Still there. Still prefer over the um, the Blair Witch girl. Oh, Can't... come on now. You know no. I'm not a fan. You know. Unless she wants to come on the podcast. Heather Donahue, you're it. out yeah. there. Two Heathers. So one reigns right supreme. I love you. I'm so scared. No, this one. She's just kind of like, Dad, why are you so... Why, Dad? It's just like, I don't know. Any... I. Okay, sorry to, di- to divert a little bit. I went to Six Flags over the weekend. Let's talk about that for a second. To see the little Fright Fest thing. It was cute. Loved it. But you know what I saw? A lot of community actors. You know? A lot of community theater actors. Good mm. for them. They're trying their best. Best part about it was, though, that um, there were a lot of children in the audience that I don't think were, their families knew what were about to happen. And then, like, there was this big moment where they're like, all right, it's time to unleash the monsters into the park for, like, scariness. And it happened, and all of these tiny children were just right there. And they just got so scared. And me and Nick are just on the outskirts being like, hee-hee, 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 hee Just watching them, watching the kids get it, crying. I saw a lot of crying children. But what I'm circling back to is that that's the vibe I feel from Heather in this movie, but she's coming back, right, Kevin? Is there? A, she's coming back for something? Oh, I don't know. No. Okay. Guess we'll figure that out later. <laughs> she does come back. <laughs> no, but she I, comes back in Wes Craven's he, new nightmare. Well, there's a new reboot that I heard that Heather's coming back for, so maybe we'll maybe we'll talk about that on the on the Patreon. Wow. Um, Cat win- <laughs> might be winning the fact off. Next, I have maybe. to Google it. I, don't know. I might I be facting. Making stuff up. No, I'm next, not making next stuff point. up. Next no. Point. Anyway, next point. Um. <laughs> I thought it was super fun. Acting's mostly terrible and over the top, but this one still has a special place in my heart without being uh, biased from the uh, the cool listener pick this week. So Trent, you said you know Craven really hit this one. This actually isn't his script. I understand that his script was was darker, way and, darker, and more profane, and, he did and it not was have um, most of England's quips like "Welcome to prime yeah. time, bitch." That was Russell, right? That wanted to make it more of a that was like ad libbed by Kruger, and that he line, was really yeah, yeah. well. A lot of them, he was pushing pushing them to do things like that. So Craven was thinking that this would be the end of the franchise, super dark, back to like the tone. Same old story. Everybody's always thinking it's going to be the last one when they make it. Exactly. And then, then, you know, you make a movie for what? $4 million and it makes 45 new line cinema is going to be like part four, please. Yeah. And four, five and six are where it really comes off the rails. Uh, But I did want to ask you guys, when I was reading about the movie, I found a ton of conflicting reviews where, you know, ha- roughly half of them said they didn't like the movie because they couldn't connect to the kids. And then half of them said the movie works because they can connect to the kids and like all of their individualities. 
And that's how I always felt as like a kid. Like I could tell you that Joey was the mute and Kincaid was the tough guy. I could I could go through like I had an emotional connection to all of these kids that are in the asylum or the institution, whatever you want to call it, the hospital with Kristen and, and Nancy has come back as a, a health social worker. Apparently, what did you guys think? Like, w- did you care about the kids or not? I, I thought there I saw a little bit of that criticism and I thought that characters in this were just as good as any other cheesy 80s horror movie if not better yeah i thought they were great yeah yeah i mean they're very well defined like you said you know fred interrupted (laughs) 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 you know who everyone is they're 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 well drawn and yeah i mean I, i i didn't have a problem with that i thought that was cool i would argue that the sequels are almost more purely realized than Wes Craven's original, because like Wes Craven made Last House on the Left, he's darker than all of this. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, all the stuff he's done besides for this has Hills not been eyes, fantastical. I mean, it's yeah. been very real and very gritty and dirty. And that his script was too dark makes perfect sense. So him working, I think the most realized Freddy is this goofy stupid special effects masterpiece that's half soap opera and that's what it should Mm be uh based on the first one i don't know if new line cinemas had a lot of changes but to me stylistically it's not like other wes craven movies i would ding it for a little bit of laziness in the in the screenplay when this like just comes down to the exorcist or something freddie up to this point has not been a vampire has not been Dracula and has not been a demon from the Catholic Church lore. So why are people uh, bottling up well, holy water? Well, no, no, no. And grabbing crosses and there's nuns now. And you no, gotta there give always them... was. No, Freddie was a child killer slash yeah. molester who was killed by the parents. And he comes back in the dreams to, to torture the kids. There's nothing about uh, the church and having a proper burial and all. It's like, I don't know where all that church stuff came in that seems kind of slapped in there to me like why does uh nancy who i would agree heather Leggenkamp, yeah performance not good i don't no. know what I quentin's talking her. about it's bad but why does she bother going into the dreams with Kristen to fight freddie when they know they can't kill him in the dream world when all they had to do was bury the fucking bones and and sprinkle holy water on it and say ah lord and do a catholic well, sign because like, Kristen's I like that Kristen, she's not going into the dreams Kristen's power is she can pull people that comfort her into her dreams yeah but at the end nancy goes in and she gets all the kids together and says we have to go into the dream and fight freddie together but really the only thing that kills freddie is because uh, Dr. Gordon Gordo, another Gordo, uh, goes and takes John Saxton, who we haven't mentioned, comes back, another cameo As Nancy's dad. from number one. Um, he's a he's a drunken loser cop now. Not he's doing well. He's been he's not doing good. He's in the bar. He's just drinking, trying to forget Freddie. Uh, and Dr. Gordon like kidnaps him and makes him go dig up the bones or find the bones in a junkyard or the trunk of a car. They're going they in him. to buy them time to do that. Right, That's to distract Freddy. Yes. I see. To distract Freddy. Okay. You know, I like these films as separate entities, I think. Like, I like the first one because Freddy's just, he's fucking super scary. He's just like this, you've never seen a, a monster like that before. You've never kind of dealt with that, at least in this, you know, in this genre instance situation. So in that moment, Super scary, very vulgar, and like child molester, murdery, absolutely. But then, forget about the second one, you hop to this bad boy, and it's fun in like still a murdery kind of way. And then you've got like the teamwork of all these, oh, these rough, it's like the breakfast club, but they're in a mental mental institution. So it's like, just like the fun, (laughs) different. (laughs) Menstrual. I'm always in a menstrual institution, (laughs) if I'm being honest. So you're dealing with all these different personalities coming together. It's not just like, oh, Nancy and her hot Johnny Depp boyfriend with a crop top and then blah, blah, blah. No, it's like all these different people have all these different problems, but they're all dealing with this demon because, spoiler alert, they were all, I guess, like, tiny babies on Elm Street. I, they yeah, were the I last mean, generation of the of Elm Street children. The Elm Street children yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Again, like Trent said, 
Why did no one Nobody fucking think about on this before? But whatever. <laughs> but it's just more fun in that way that everyone's coming together and they're like all these different yeah. personalities, a drug addict, a mute, a, a, a guy in a, in, a, in a wheelchair. I don't know. It's just, it's yeah, yeah. more how many fun. In, yeah, how many? I, I how like many things. <laughs> I, mean, I like when it got reduced to this, and I look forward to wa- rewatching all the movies that come after this. Because you were saying uh, we just watched Terrifier two in the theater. Yeah, and one of the things you told me about it before I went in was that you just couldn't wait to see what fucked up thing Art the Clown was going to do next. Right, and that's the same vibe with the the Freddy sequels. After they get past the first one, it doesn't even matter. What no. it's about, what people are doing, how they yep. wrap it up, what the magical thing is, or why he comes back to life or yep. dies or whatever. Yeah, it's just about seeing what Freddy's going to do next. Yeah, and after this one, awesome. after this one, it gets even worse. It's or very, better or very, better. I would argue. You well, uh, I I would disagree. The, it's very much like what is the next way he's going to kill somebody, and what is the next one liner that he's going to drop. Before he kills that person, so it's it's welcome to prime time, bitch, on steroids <laughs> and zero. I mean, this one I think at least has a fairly intricate story, and it ha- it's trying to lay out a plot, mm-hmm. and it's got good, you know, good Breakfast Club vibes, like yeah. you said. It's got Nightmare the mean, Bre- mean doctor and the nice doctor, and you know that this one doctor is going to fuck with the kids. Uh, this mm-hmm. one has the Hypnosil. It introduces Hypnosil, yes, which comes back in Freddy versus Jason. Um, it's uh, you know this I don't know this is a great one I think it's the last great one until Craven came back and did New Nightmare. The doctors and the in the adults in this movie not the most evolved views on suicide. <laughs> in, back in 1987, yeah. when the poor, selfish the poor kid that gets uh, the marionette <laughs> the veins marionetted and he gets led out as a puppet to the edge of the building and jumps to everybody's. As far as people can tell, of course, they don't know it was Freddy. The kids do. Uh, as uh, After that, the doctors are all like, he was weak and selfish. He was a coward. Mm. Couldn't handle life. And that's why he killed himself. He was no good. Don't cry for him. It's a sin. What a loser. He couldn't hack it. I'm like, man, that <laughs> yeah. is uh, pretty tough stuff. And that's part of Craven's original script, I guess, which I find it interesting. I'd love to see that. Apparently, his original script was deemed... Uh, super dark because it dealt with suicide on a much deeper level. And I guess at this time, suicide was a very taboo topic to be putting in in a mainstream or commercial release. And so Russell toned it down. This is also, uh, by the way, Frank Darabont. Yeah, he was one of the writers on this. This is his first writing credit ever. Oh, wow. Interesting. That, That line, bastard son of a hundred maniacs, I've never forgotten it. My whole entire life, I've always somewhere in my mind, I'm always thinking, bastard son of a hundred maniacs. <laughs> Put that on my tombstone. Of course, we know it can uh, it can only be one maniac, really, when you when you get down to the science of it. Kevin, you, you like science. Um, but the other thing that this really brought back to me was me and my best friend doing the, the nursery rhyme. The Freddie nursery rhyme, do you guys know that by heart? Of course. Yeah, I mean, I could do it like I could do like a speed rap version of that at any time. You could wake me up and be like, "Freddie Nursery Rhyme," and I would just have it. I mean, it's just been there ever since. Do it right now. I don't want to do it right Nine, now. Ten. Why not? He's on, One, two, Freddie's coming for you. Three, four, better lock your door. Five, six, grab your crucifix. Seven, eight, gonna stay up late. Nine, ten, never sleep again. Boom. Oh, Woo. there it is. <laughs> that was not an edit. I was here live for it. That was I live. It. That was fast. <laughs> Um, is this the first time that Freddie says bitch? Is this the oh, first time he's like bitch? No, that, that was that was funny because a lot of the a lot of the um the gag lines are just like words with bitch at the end. Yeah. It's just like bitch. Blah, 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 bitch. <laughs> like, oh. Did he do that in the first two? Not in the first one, I don't think. Maybe think, uh, not the second. Come Rob, get him, bitch. No, I bitch. don't think he would have been the second. I don't even remember any of the I have to watch all the Freddies because I actually like two. And Beyond that, do they ever go CGI, or is it always practical effects? No, there, there's. I mean, there's even CGI in this. Like the Wizard Master has some CGI. Oh yeah, yeah that stuff. Like that. Yeah, I, no, I, I mean, mean like they the definitely, big Freddy scenes. Uh, I can't. I can't remember four and five all that much. Uh, six, they definitely do. Freddy's dead. 
they definitely do some bad CGI in that one. I don't think I've seen any beyond this one. This was, I think, the last one. By the time 4 came out, I think I had moved on. Yeah, 4 somehow grossed more than this one, but I think it's because this one was so good. Well, you have to, you have to actually go back. I mean, again, I just couldn't help but sort of go back in my mind. Freddy was a real, true pop culture phenomenon mm-hmm. with no internet. Had you a know, TV show. Freddy, by Freddy's this time, yeah, like... by, the, by the time part three came out, Freddy was like a household name and you didn't have any easy way to do that. You didn't have all the apps and the phones and all this. It just, it was everywhere. There were Halloween costumes, you know, by this time. Everybody knew just, just from having a theatrical run and VHS, everybody from your grandmother down through to your little nieces and nephews knew who Freddy Krueger was. And that, that's a pretty amazing feat. But the, I think this got out of hand for Wes Craven. And I think it was up to him. Freddie wouldn't be a meatball. Next week is Dave's Ooze Week. We're going to be checking out The Incredible Melting Man from 1977. That's free on Prime, uh, also on Paramount. And we're going to be watching The Stuff from 1985. That's free on Tubi or VOD. You can watch it if you have uh, Shudder or AMC add-ons to Prime.